Welcome to Marketing Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. I'm Stacey Jones, the founder of influencer marketing and branded content agency, Hollywood Branded. This podcast provides brand marketers a learning platform for top experts to share their insights and knowledge on topics which make a direct impact on your business today. While it is impossible to be well-versed on every topic and strategy that can improve bottom line results, my goal is to help you avoid making costly mistakes of time, energy, or money, whether you are doing a DIY approach or hiring an expert to help. Let's begin today's discussion. Welcome to Marketing Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. Here's your host, Stacey Jones. Welcome to Marketing Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. I'm Stacey Jones. I'm so happy to be here with you all today, and I want to give a very warm welcome to Dominic Archeruni, founder and director of Concave Brand Tracking, a company that tracks the amount of exposure and the impact of a brand from product placement in TV and film content. Dominic founded Concave Brand Tracking back in 2013 by combining his background in business, data analysis, and market research with his passion for entertainment. Over the years, he's worked with many major agencies and brands, including Dell, Anheuser-Busch, and Moe Hennessy. Their annual list for the most visible product placement brands and movies is one of a kind in the industry. Today, we're going to talk about measuring and valuing product placement, why it's important for brands to be placed in the right context, and the future of product placement. We'll learn what's worked from Dominic's experience, what could be avoided, and how some brands are just missing the mark. Dominic, welcome. Hi, Stacey. Thanks for having me. So happy to have you on today. I have been looking forward to our conversation for weeks. So what I'd love to do is have you start off and tell all of our listeners a little bit more about yourself and what got you to be the movie fanatic that you are, that you created a business just to measure product placement. I'd love to. Um, so as you said, uh, I, in my past experiences, I actually worked in um, data analysis and market research most recently before I started Concave. But I'd always had a passion for movies. And going back to my studies when I was studying marketing, product placement was something that just seemed really interesting to me. I actually initially thought about having a career there. But back, back then in the UK, product placement was really not a thing. So I went down another route. But Now I found a way to sort of bring together the experience that I had along the way and this passion of mine. And the interesting thing is that I was working in market research in fashion. And basically, after a few years of working there and started thinking about what my next steps are going to be, I took what I'd learned there and saw how it could apply it to movies. So kind of taking an outsider point of view. And in the fashion industry, we literally had a company that would send people into store and record the prices and the, um, and the ranges in all stores like JCPenney's, Gap, that sort of thing. And then we would analyze these huge amounts of data to look at the price comparisons and the product ranges. So that was sort of the background I came from. And with that in mind, I said, well, there must be something like this in product placement, surely to find out every single brand and every single movie and comparing it. And very quickly, I found out the I think there were literally just a few big companies that had stuff that hadn't been updated in five or six years when I started looking at this in 2013. And I found there wasn't. So I ran with the idea. We started with an experimental 110 movies and about a time we were using music videos, about a thousand music videos to kind of have a proof of concept of what our data could look like. And um, it took us a while, but we knocked on a lot of doors. And uh, uh, now it's five, six years later, Uh, Here we are um, doing what we want to do, working with some of the biggest brands and recording the brands in pretty much every single major movies, a bunch of TV shows, music videos. And what what I always wanted was to just bring a whole other level of insight to product placement. And I like to believe that that's what we're doing. Well, it's great because, you know, we've been doing product placement for a long time at Hollywood Branded. I've been doing it for over 24 years now. And you're right. There's not a lot of companies that are out there who do metrics. And, you know, some clients, they don't care. They're okay with it. They're like, oh, you know, you know, just give us, you know, the feedback and the agency's metrics that they provide. But there's other companies, especially large ones, that really want to get an understanding of the marketplace. And I think that's where you have so much value because you're a third party that is able to come in and not actually say what something is based on what the agency is reporting, who's done the product placement, but actually give feedback, you know, again, third party wise, that is non uh, associated where it, it's very true data overall. Yeah, the third, the third party status is really important for us because we came in, we, we only do product placement market research and we only do the research. We Sometimes people contact us for placements and then we refer them to other people because that's not what we do. And so, and because we, we, com- we collect data for all the brands, we're never going to be biased on making someone look better or anything like that. 
So what are some of the trends that you've seen with product placement since you started back in 2013? Um, since 2013, um, I think so in 2013, we started looking at the 10 years before that. So I'd say over the last 15 years, it's become product placement has always appeared. Brands have always appeared in entertainment, but I feel it's become much more, I'd say polished would be the word rather than just brands appearing here or there. And like, you know, having a pizza box stuffed in someone's face in like one particular movie. Uh, we see brands that have strategies and the brands are appearing much more integrated and consistently. And, but at the same time, they're appearing more visibly. One very interesting thing we found in the 10 years that we did. So 2003 or 2013, a tiny thing that most people wouldn't think of is the increase in the resolution of movies and TV shows makes a huge difference because even back in 2003, you're looking at low, even one level lower resolution. It's a lot harder to recognize, you know, a can of Coke than when it's on 4k. So I think that obviously helped, but in the meantime as well, so brands have become more thorough. They're being more careful about what they're doing. And uh, again, product placement, people still think of those stereotypical brand in your face. And we see a, we still see that sometimes, especially in movies like Transformers, but overall brands have tried to avoid doing that. And when you're looking at the data, and I know that you review the content and you list every brand that's potentially actually in that content, and then you're ranking how that brand uh, appeared in number of times, or can you share a little bit more about what you look at when you're analyzing a film? Absolutely. Um, so again, coming without knowing the industry from an insider point of view. Uh, I, I just thought at the beginning, what are the things that are most important? And we, broke, we break our metrics down to exposure, demographics, and context. So exposure is obviously the main one that most people are interested. So we record what the product is, what the brand is, how long it's on screen, so how many seconds, how visible it is. So is it something that's a close-up? Is it in the background? Is it just discrete on the side? Is the logo or the name visible? Uh, so that's our exposure metrics. And then what we've been doing the last few years is we use all of that along with um, the viewership and advertising costs that come up with the valuation. So that obviously is the big number that's most interesting, how much something is worth in terms of marketing advertising value. But then the two others that we think is interesting, and that's really for the brands that are interesting in doing a deep dive on their portrayal, is the demographic. So every time a brand is used by someone, we record that, so the actor, and then we can look at a macro level what the average age, what the gender um, breakdown or what the ethnicity breakdown of the actors is. And that, that can give some really interesting um, stats. So for example, the fact that probably won't surprise you that the majority of brands are used by men, um, but it's actually 70% of brands are associated with men as opposed to women, but that's mm -hmm. still up for women year on year in 2018. Uh, and then in terms of context, we look at where a brand is being shown. So, you know, is a car appearing on a racetrack or is it appearing at a school picking up the kids? And what is it being used for? So, you know, is a laptop being used by a kid to Skype someone or is it being used by the police um, to uh, find someone using GPS? So we record all of those metrics to then show brands not only how visible they're appearing, but also how they're being shown. And that way allows them to see if that's in line with uh, their brand values. No, that's interesting. I had not thought or heard that 70% of males were the ones using product placement. And honestly, it's not something I would have even thought of, despite really my world being wrapped around this whole world too, to even think about. That's fascinating. I mean, unfortunately, it's because men get a lot more screen time than women. So that's what it comes down to. But yeah, it is interesting. And women are on the rise, as are it is also in terms of ethnicity, it also becoming more diverse. It's still mostly um, white actors, but uh, in the 2018, uh, Latino and Asian actors, mostly probably from crazy rich Asians, but they've been getting a lot more screen time and being a lot more associated with brands. Interesting. What brands have you seen that you think are doing it really well? there you're seeing them a lot in content and that might actually be two different questions which brands are you seeing a lot in content and secondly which brands do you think are doing really well um so we have our top 100 brands as you mentioned our 2018 annual report and to be honest ev everyone who's in that top 10 is doing a really good job so obviously apple dell chevrolet ford mercedes dodge all all of the likes they're they're really applying what I think we're going to talk later about the things that you should be doing, which is not focusing on one big property, but really appearing in a lot of movies, not necessarily in your face. And then by appearing in a lot of movies, there are some that are going to do really well for you and some that are not, but that's part of the business. So mm -hmm. I'd say all of those, but again, the ones that are, that are consistently in the top 
So Apple was number one this year. Dell was number one a couple of years ago. Ford is obviously, Ford and Chevrolet are always the biggest one among cars. So electronics and car brands, those market leaders are doing very, very good things. Well, and all of those top 10 that you mentioned, they all actually have product placement agencies or internal divisions at their companies with very focused time spent. So product placement for all of our listeners, it doesn't just magically happen. You know, if you're a brand and you're sitting by the sidelines, you know, like, I hope and I'm praying that my brand is going to be in that feature film or that TV show. Well, it could, but it's not going to likely happen, and it's not going to happen to the degree that we're talking about today, where there's brands who are actually making you know, very concerted efforts to make this as part of their marketing and advertising practice. I think that one of the amazing things about pretty much all those brands we've talked about is the fact that a lot of people might think exactly what you just said, that they happen magically because they're so well integrated. But really, it's just that someone needed a car, they needed a bunch of monitors, and there's someone at these companies who's facilitated that. And the thing is, again, all of those brands, even though people will notice them, they're not the sort of things that would come to mind when people think of product placement, again, because they're not shoved in their face. Yeah. And the other thing that people do not know who are listening is that most of these placements that Dominic's talking about and most of these brands, they're not paying for their standard product placement. They're actually making inventory available to the producers, the directors, the prop masters, the set decorators, or transportation departments, the um, stylists, so that they can actually have at their fingertips product that they need to bring to life their scene and make it more real. Yeah, whenever, whenever I talk to people about what I do, and obviously they're very intrigued by it because it's a very fun industry to work in, that is the biggest thing. They always say, oh, that must have cost millions and millions of dollars. And I'm like, no, they just knew the right person at the right time. And they're very good at their job about making sure they had product because, I mean, even, I'm sure you'll agree, even when there is money that exchanges hands, it's like tiny compared to the budgets of these movies. So there's not, their priority is making a, making a movie, not recouping the cost in terms of product placement. Right. Even with these blockbuster movies, like, right? Like you hear about Bond or Transformers and you're like, oh my gosh, you know, the brands are paying so much money to be in that. And they can be for those blockbusters and they could be paying hundreds of thousands into seven figures. That really still is not much to that film and when you're looking at independent films or you know smaller studio films and you're like oh you know there's an opportunity for a $50,000 deal or a $150,000 deal or even $250,000 that does not really save the production all that much money in the long run so that's why this isn't always such a money-driven deal. And there's other partnerships that are looked at, um, such as co-promotion. So like with Bond, how can Heineken actually help co-promote the film through their advertising? That can be more valuable to the film versus getting hard cash. It's interesting you bring up Bond because I think one of the reasons people think so much money is going on this is because it's so often misreported because the Bond one, there was obviously the story about Heineken and they said something like, oh, they paid $20 million for and the 50, bottle was only on screen. 50, 50 million. Yeah. But people, but, and then it was only on screen for seven seconds. But people misunderstand that they weren't paying for the placement. They were paying for the ads. They were paying to use Daniel Craig in the commercials. They were paying for, I mean, if anything, for those stories. But yeah, if anything, the placement was the easiest thing out of all of those. Right. And, and it, it was, just, a, it was, sorry, okay. it was the same, it was the same, I think with a super, the very first Superman uh, with Henry Cavill, where they talked about, oh, they've, I think they said something ridiculous, like they've recouped their entire budget in cross in um, product placement. And it does sound like they made a lot of money on doing all the partnerships that we're talking about, but obviously they weren't getting two, $300 million in product placement fees. No, what actually happens is we're talking about, um, saving the movie money to market. So if the film is able to utilize Heineken's $50 million to market the film for them, then that means the studio doesn't have to pay that much money to reach the same number of eyeballs. So ultimately the studio is saving money. So they're saving their marketing budget, but they're not actually making $50 million from the overall deal. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So yeah, there's so much confusion in the marketplace for this and what gets me is like, I read these articles and they'll say, you know, product placement now is a multi-billion dollar business, or there was, you know, X billion dollars spent, or this year there's $365 million of uh, money going through Hollywood for product placement deals. And it's not true. I mean, mm. I, I sometimes doubt myself, honestly, I'm like, 
is this happening? Is this something that our agency is not familiar with that somehow we're not part of? But it's not. It's just there's these outside parties that blow up the numbers so much and they report on the data and it's misconstrued. Do you have any idea how they come up with those numbers? Because obviously I see them all the time. I don't. And I, I've, I have actually talked to people about it. And, you know, PQ Media is one of the platforms out there where I'm still trying to figure out how they come up with their metrics on what their valuation is. Because you can talk to the biggest brands in the industry, like the ones that you're mentioning that you're, you know, constantly reviewing. And I know for a fact that they're not spending tens of millions of dollars. No. I mean, they're not even spending, in many cases, a million dollars, especially with films. TV shows are a little different because TV shows get wrapped up with media buys and with um, needing to, you know, buy five, ten million dollars worth of TV time of media in order to get a starring role on certain broadcast networks in the United States. Um, so it's, it's treated a little differently, but even then, it's not millions and millions of media dollars. There's only so many, you know, modern families that get a million dollar media, a million dollar product placement for Oreos and five million dollars media to support. They only have 20 odd episodes a season. There's only so much money that can be made there. So it's really, really weird where people get these dollars. I mean, I could, I could imagine that maybe if, they, if they're adding together the, the cost of uh, running the departments and all of those companies, but even that wouldn't get close to it. In terms of like the value that's generated, so as we said, we, ran, we run obviously the, the macro numbers and I have them in front of me that I think in 2015 was a huge year for product placement just because of the movies that were in it. And we record about one, two, uh, $1.2 billion in value. So that was what was generated, but it go, it's a lot lower. It's more in the hundreds of millions, but still that's like a fraction of these 10 billions that we're talking about. Yeah. And even with brands that would run campaigns, you know, Dominic and I have talked over the years about Blackberry because that's been a, a client of Hollywood branded's off and on through their ramp ups, ramp downs, change of hands. Um, and they've gotten a lot of exposure in different content from, you know, house of cards to, feature films. And in reality, we've gotten billions of dollars of uh, media value and impressions over about a 12-year time period because it adds up and everything goes into uh, long-running plays that's not even taken into account. But with all of that, it's just it's valuable and there it makes sense, but it again doesn't have the dollars that are attached to it that people think because all of that is obtained without paying for it. Yeah. And also a lot of what you said, you mentioned their impressions and stuff like that, that comes out of the product placement, but it's not directly the product placement. But I'm glad you brought it up because that is such an important part of it, of building on the product placement. It's not just about appearing, but also then about following it up. Yeah. So what are some of your other stats? What else have they shown? Because I bet you have stats and figures galore that you could share with us. I, I have indeed. Um, so just in terms of the value that was for 2018, there was $600 million of um, advertising value that was generated for, I think it was for over 627 different brands. So, and sometimes it's literally just, you know, a pack of food that was in the background of one movie, but then our top hundred movies that we have, um, they, they obviously got the, the lion's share of that. And uh, there, every single brand that was in that top hundred got over a million dollars in um, value. So that, and that's gone up over the years. So that's pretty good. In terms of uh, the, if we're literally just going for stats, in terms of the um, uh, demographics, um, one of the interesting one I thought is what would you what would you guess the average age of a product placement, um, the person associated with product placement in movies would be? I'm going to guess. You know, you could go young, you could go older. I'm going to actually guess older in, say, in the 40s. Yeah, 42. And that's been pretty stable over the years. But I was quite surprised to see that number because, you know, we think of all the stars and everything. But obviously, most background characters and established stars are older. So, what obviously, those are fun stats. But what all these means, of, for example, what we're talking about, the gender breakdown earlier, is that if a brand wants to be appealing to younger people or they want to be appealing to a more female audience, it doesn't actually mean that they have to be, you know, super young or super female. Audience. It just means that they need to be pretty much 50-50 and then they'll seem like they're a female-oriented company and I guess what that brings me back to is as fun as all these stats are it's really important for brands to have an idea of what they're trying to get out of product placement not just in terms of the exposure but in terms of what their brand image they want it to be and that's why we do all these stats on um, the um, 
demographics and the context so then they can see if it matches up um in terms of some others actually i didn't you, you mentioned blackbreen house of cards i was actually putting together some numbers we um as you know we did a study of stranger things that came out this year and it that was kind of the semi-official launch that we've also come up with a way of uh, measuring well of coming up with an estimate of how many viewers have watched netflix shows and use because obviously now netflix has put a lot of numbers so it gives us some data to play around with and obviously the the story that came out was saying that there was 15 million dollars worth of advertising value in the first few days but we estimate that's gone they've already gotten a lot more um they've already got a lot more viewers in i think it's been a week since then obviously it's later that this has come out. And I think it's up to about uh, 40 million, sorry, 70 million uh, viewers. And that's brought up the to 30 or 40 million in advertising value. But using that, we actually look back at House of Cards. Um, so obviously House of Cards is finished now, but over its six seasons, and obviously it's on Netflix consistently and it keeps getting washed. We now, we now estimate that there's been over $412 million of advertising value for all the brands included. And that includes $16 million for BlackBerry, which... Look at that. Yeah, exactly. Now, and that Um, was a perfect show, by the way, that was just aligned awesomely well. Because Blackberry was going after more of a B2B. You know, at the time, Kevin Spacey was an awesome character to be associated with. You know, tides have turned on that a little bit as well. But, you know, it's when you have a brand that's actually associated in the right way, it sells and people comment on it and people purchase because of it. And we hear about it all the time. And so I'm happy to see that you included the stats. Yeah. I mean, Blackberry is a great example that people wouldn't even think of that being product placement because it fits in so naturally. If anything, it would seem as if as an inaccuracy if they show them not using Blackberry because obviously when it started, that was the official government phones. And it's back in 2007, you know, Blackberry was going head. We were going head to head with iPhone. And, you know, we knew that, you know, Apple had their product placement division and we had BlackBerry and it wasn't that we had to really work across each other. It wasn't that we were even challenging each other in Hollywood at that time uh, because characters who were more consumer-based used iPhone. Characters who were more business-based used BlackBerry. And it was when the brand started crossing over that things started changing a little bit more on that. Yeah. Yeah, that's that. That's an interesting idea, also. Well, about the competition is the fact is with product placement. Obviously, you know, I'm sure there is competition sometimes between brands, but because of what we were saying earlier about it's more about facilitating than paying someone. There's plenty of room for any brand that's going to do this properly. Absolutely. And it, and every and every like uh, we we do a lot on electronics. One of our client Dell, for example, is like huge. They're consistently um, seen in government offices, FBI offices, police stations, and obviously one of their main competitors, um, Apple, is much more seen at home maybe used by teenagers in movies like love simon or stuff like that but then other laptop brands like panasonic is not a huge brand but they have a very specific image of those rugged laptops that you always see the military use and they don't get every single time but about most of the time when it's the military they will have a panasonic laptop and they're they're i don't we don't work with them or anything but my guess is they don't have ambitions of being the number one laptop but they just think that when the military is using it it should be a panasonic laptop yeah and we work with Back for a while doing the same thing they had yes yeah they're bigger too where we would go after only military or rugged usage so that's what's cool about product placement is you can look for very true to life core usage and then replicate that yeah yeah because yeah because if you because i mean sometimes none come to mind right now but sometimes you'll see placements where it just doesn't feel right like it'll be for example it just doesn't happen but if you saw a teenager using a panasonic laptop to skype their girlfriend you'd be like wait that that doesn't happen in real life right it's true any other stats you want to share um uh, not off the top of my head Uh, that's okay you don't have to. Actually, yes, I have. I, oh, so this, this actually brings me to, in terms of trends, but some, uh, one stat that I pulled, it was about, um, it was about, actually, this brings us on to the next section about okay. maybe good things, like good things to do and what's working at the moment in the industry. And the point that I was going to talk is about, as we mentioned earlier, was about this diversification and about brands not focusing on one or two big movies and putting all their eggs in the same baskets. And basically, I looked at the top 100 brands so in, that we've got in our report. And on average, between them, they were, all, they were in 13 movies each. 
And all the ones that were only in one movie tend to be specialized brands, like maybe the boxing gloves that were wearing in Creed or Soul Cycle in Isn't She Pretty? Like not brands that are trying to be everywhere. So all of these brands that are being successful are really diversifying. They're appearing in many movies. And on average, they're, the number one movie of each brand was 62% of their total value they were getting, which is big. But obviously what that's saying is that on average, you need to be in 13 movies to get that movie that's your big fish that is going to um, bring you the majority of your value. And obviously, as we know, you know, you're never sure about whether your brand is going to get a lot of visibility in a movie, whether a movie is going to get good whether a movie is going to do well and more importantly whether those two things are going to happen a lot of the times our clients can be surprised they'll be like oh but we were in this really huge movie it's like yeah but you were in the background for 10 seconds and what about this one is like well actually you got minute you got minutes and minutes of screen time your logo was visible and even though that many people saw it the people who did see it saw it really well well i would like to hire you right now and you can be (laughs) our advocate because i tell clients all the time that they need to be a little less picky about what they're choosing and look more so at the content as whether or not it is speaking to the right targeted demographic and whether it's going to show the brand in a positive light because the magic of product placement when you're not paying these big fees is that you should pretty much be in every single content opportunity that you can find that's a fit to your brand and not say yes to this and no to that because, you know, as Dominic mentioned earlier, this is a relationship game. This is all about building a relationship with Hollywood. And the person who's on one film is going to go on another film and then onto a TV show and then onto another TV show. And what I didn't even add in here is this is also not just a relationship business. It's a family business. You're working with people who have been in the unions where their fathers, their brothers, their sisters, their children are also, and they share commentary. They teach everyone about who the brands are that actually are great to work with. And they make sure that when brands give them love and who help them in a time of need, even if they're working on kind of maybe a duddy film that seems duddy, and quite frankly, it could come out and be a blockbuster at the and that was unexpected. If you're a brand that's still willing to work with them because the content still fits and the opportunity is still right, then you're going to win in the long term. Yeah, I actually have an example. I think a very good one of a brand that maybe did exactly this. So it's a Ram truck. So part of Fiat Chrysler, which obviously are a very successful product placement um, brand. Like they have a whole team, but when they spun off the Ram brand from uh, the Dodge, uh, from Dodge, I think one of their first big projects was monster trucks. I don't know if you had the misfortune of seeing this, but it was just a movie where basically it was all monster trucks that had aliens living inside them. And I never actually watched the movie because it didn't make it into our sample. That's how badly it did. But they obviously put a lot of money in the trailers. You can see that every single car is theirs, even if they didn't pay for it, just in terms of giving the product, they, that, that must've cost them millions. Um, but obviously the movie did not do well. And the value for that would have been, I mean, they probably would have got, you know, a little bit of value because there was so much of them in it, but the movie did really badly. Whereas for example, an opposite of that was, in this case, going back to what I was saying earlier, maybe this helped for the production, but in Get Out, there was some really strong placements by Lincoln and Microsoft. And maybe because that was such an indie movie, the, a couple of hundred thousands would have helped them in the budget or stuff. But either way, Lincoln or Microsoft took a chance on a really small project. And obviously, that movie blew up and was one of the biggest things that year. And they got millions of dollars worth, in, worth of um, exposure. Yeah, the only thing I would call out about the Ram and monster trucks, and when you said that they, you know, gave them and spent millions of dollars on inventory. Well, here again is a super special magic thing about product placement. When you loan something to a production, unless they destroy it, you get it back. And what Ford does, what Chrysler does, I think Ram's part of this, they actually um, have cars that are part of insurance fleets. So they've been destroyed. They have, you know, their owner had them. They had something happen to the car. It got, you know, destroyed in a hurricane or there was something that was an issue and it was a recall. These vehicles can actually be used in Hollywood for movies. And so they'll a lot of times pull these um, um, vehicles in and give them to productions if they need to destroy vehicles too. So that's kind of a little side secret. That's interesting. I'd, I'd heard in, in the James Bond movies that, for example, they weren't crashing real Aston Martin, so they'd give them replicas, but I didn't know about the insurance. That's interesting. And it's not all of them. The American models, the American brands do it better because they own their insurance fleets. They offer insurance. Uh, yeah. 
so they have access to it. So your BMWs, your Aston Martin, they're not going to actually have that same capability that your Ford and Chryslers are gonna have. Gotcha. Yeah. So what are some of the mistakes that you've seen people make besides not actually working in enough films or TV shows? <laughs> um, in, well, do you mean um, broadly in product placement or specifically in terms of metrics? Both. Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll lob that up to you. You can respond <laughs> in either way. I bet our listeners will be interested. Um, in terms of so, in terms of placements, I would just say the it's it's the the going too much in your face. So, for example, like Beats by Dre and Transformers. It's literally if you put in product placement to Google Images, usually what you get is all of the examples of people complaining about it. And I mean, in a way, if or if is there no such thing as bad publicity? Maybe they would argue that, especially a brand like Beats by Dre, which is known for product placement, but people do get tired about it because every other article about product placement out there is someone saying fans are tired of this or that. Just, it makes good headlines. I mean, in Stranger Things, even though Coca-Cola was the biggest brand and they got really good value, and I'm sure they're thrilled with it, there are still a bunch of articles which say, is this too much? So that would be, that would be the, the big, um, what are the other mistakes? Again, as you said, putting all your eggs in one basket. But we've, it's interesting because over the years, we've seen brands which haven't been doing too well or maybe they have been doing well but just in one movie and then a good example is AOC they do um, monitors where they, they were only in they were in the Martian which was really good and then they sort of were off the radar for a couple of years but now they've come back in 2018 in full force and they're in eight different movies including really big ones like Venom so they've obviously they're obviously um, come, coming along in their terms of their strategy. Yeah, and what is cool for a company like that, and maybe their strategy is maybe they're paying for a guarantee exposure, but usually a lot of your electronic clients aren't paying. They're making inventory available, and it's something that Hollywood really needs because it costs a lot of money to dress a scene with monitors, with computers, with televisions, um, with phones. And so all of these types of brands who are kind of have the wherewithal to put together an inventory, knowing that again, they're gonna send it out to a production, they're gonna use it, they're gonna have it on set, and if it's a film for about three months to four months, if it's gonna be a TV show, uh, if it's gonna be you know, a show that's on uh, Netflix, that's only 10 episodes, or HBO or Showtime, that's a short season, they're also gonna only have it for three to four months. If it's going to be a season-long 22-episode broadcast, they're gonna have it for most of the year, and they may not even keep it and use it again for the following year. Um, so that's, again, where a big win is for brands. Absolutely. And then I think in terms of so mistakes, but also good practices in terms of being realistic about what you expect in terms of the ROI. And this is the problem, as you've alluded to, where people, they need to basically start with the assumption that, they're, that they shouldn't be paying for it. Maybe eventually they do if the right deal comes along, but use an agency like yours, build a connection, build a network. Because the problem is that if you're paying, you know, one or $200,000 per um, placement, even if then one of them becomes worth one or $2 million, which is amazing. Overall, you're not necessarily going to be happy because there's this assumption because of many of the factors we talked about earlier of people think that every placement is worth millions. So yeah, manage the expectations. So this brings us onto the data is the fact is if a brand asks us to look at, you know, 10 movies or 10 um, TV shows or something, there are going to be some that are going to be disappointed and they just need to understand that before going in because obviously they're one or two shows or movies that are doing really well is what they need to focus on. Well, and even if you're doing product placement where you're not paying for each and every one, you can't assume that just by providing loan of product to the production that you're going to make it on the screen. I mean, the reality is it may and it may not. Even if it has a starring role in one scene, you know, we've had deals where we've paid hundreds of thousands of dollars for a product to be in a film. And then the scene came out and it was either edited, so you couldn't see it. It was just the wrong camera angles because it just didn't work. And the director is never going to say, oh, I want to keep that money and I'm going to change my creativity just to make it work for the brand. That will never happen. Yeah. Or you'll end up having the entire scene cut. And so that's why it's also a numbers game where you want to work on as many different shows and feature films as possible that fit, again, your consumer demographic that you're targeting so that you actually have the big wins on the opposite side. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And 
And then the other thing would be also, again, going back to what we've already been talking about, but making sure in the right context. I mean, I'm sure like, I know you guys do. I know my clients do. I speak to them. They don't, they don't just agree to anything. They read the scripts, they study them. They make sure the people they're with are reliable. Again, to make sure the things, um, the things that you're saying about not being cut, for example, obviously a, a set dresser can never guarantee that. But if there's someone who you've got a good relationship, there's much better chance that, you know, they're going to help you out. I think an example, one of my clients told me once is obviously on the, the network channels, they have a lot of rules about the logos and stuff. And obviously, if the person doesn't really care, they'll just put black tape over it. But you know, if they're a little more nice, maybe they'll technically put one letter out so that it passes the rules. But really, everyone knows exactly what it is. Yeah, and that's called Greeking. So that goes back to having to have a certain number of the words in a logo or in a name changed and altered so that network ad sales will say, yes, no problem. You can put that soda up there and our advertiser Coca-Cola, if they happen to buy media, is not going to be upset. So that's why they do that. And that's where it comes in. You don't see it on cable. You don't see it on your OTT streaming video on demand platforms. And you don't see this in feature films. You only see it on broadcast networks where they will go in and they'll um, Greek it. And we oftentimes now don't even work with a lot of the shows on broadcast because we know that if it's a first season series, they're automatically going to not have the power to push back on right. network ad sales. It's just like, it's a guarantee. It's like first season, even if you have great electronics, you're pretty much going to have all your logos gone. But if you work with a TV show that's broadcast network that's been around for a few years, they know their chops, they have their relationships there, and they want to work with a brand because it's going to help offset some of their costs or make things easier, that production might have a little bit more ease of working. Yeah, I'm actually glad we talked about this. I hadn't planned to bring it up, but this is actually one of my pet peeves is that people complain about product placement being too visible and ruining the experience. But I personally feel that what does do that is when you see, for example, you know, a car with a big blur instead of a badge or, you know, tape, tape on someone's jacket or like that's a lot more unnatural than actually having brands on, t on screen. Yeah, there was a, on ABC earlier this season, my husband and I were watching a, a TV show that we'd never seen before. It was a spy caper. It's not coming back, actually. And they walk out and they have a six pack of beer. And there's literally paper wrapped around the beer can. So you cannot see what brand it is. And they hand out the beers to everyone to drink. And as they're drinking it, with paper wrapped around them, they're making comments or talking. You're so distracted. You're just focused on that can. And they'll have fake products out there too, where you'll have um, a can that says beer instead yeah. of Budweiser. And if it still has the coloring of a Budweiser, if it still looks like that beer, it's fine. You get it. You understand. You're like, okay, fine. But if it's just weird, again, paper wrapped around a beer can, mm. it takes you so out of the scene that it hurts the actual creative process, I think. Absolutely, yeah. That actually, that reminds me of, um, there's this, there's this um, UK reality show called Love Island, which has just premiered in the US. Oh and they, God, it is a <laughs> mess of a show, but yes, it's here. But but they have they have very interesting product placement practices. So I, I've kept an eye on the American one. I don't think they've really done any yet. Like the big thing in the UK is in the in the first um, in the first episode when the contestants arrive, they come in and like shiny. I think in the first few seasons it was Jeeps and now it's Land Rovers. But so those are clearly product placements. But then they're very careful about, for example, every bottle of wine, every soda they they have is got the labels. But because it's reality TV, and to me it's pretty obvious what they're doing that bothers me less is when it's like in something scripted yeah. but i think that's part of the business plan if it succeeds in the u.s for um love island you can be expected to see a lot of product placement there whether it's the cars the drinks they have a whole they, all the clothes in the uk are, are given by one brand of clothes store which then you they just do billboards everywhere saying we're the clothing that's on love island so that's a whole other interesting reality tv product placement yeah reality tv is absolutely interesting especially with the fact that you actually usually have more leeway with reality than you do with scripted and it costs less money um the content costs less money the brand deals cost less money and there's less of this concern by the director and the producers that their art form is going to be hurt by the partnership with a brand so you can go a long way with reality series what are some of the other things that you've noticed? 
Um, in terms of, I think what I would look in terms of trends going forward that I've noticed that are starting and that seem very effective is um, partnerships. So long-term, whether it's between, sometimes with a studio, like I've heard some clients say that a studio will come and just kind of offer their slate of movies and say, what are you interested in? But more specifically with franchises. So for example, one of the main ones would be uh, Fiat Chrysler and Fast and Furious. Like you will not see Vin Diesel driving something that's not a Dodge or a Plymouth or most importantly, a Fiat Chrysler car. And so they get, every, we, in our rankings, it's quite interesting because the years is a Fast and Furious movie, like Dodge is like top five and they have a very, they have a very strong program. So they never drop out of the top 20 or 25, but it's always a blip on the radar when they have those movies coming out. And then I think car brands are the, the biggest one, like Audi and Marvel is obviously huge. And it's interesting how some have come and gone. Like Audi has been with Marvel since the first Iron Man, whereas there've been a lot of other brands that have sort of like, um, I think it was Acura had a partnership for a while, but then that sort of fizzled. I'm sure there's some very interesting behind the scenes well, information and, there. And you had Lexus and Black Panther. That popped yeah, so, yeah, so that'll be, that'll be interesting to see whether it's a one-off or if they keep going. But that was great for Lexus. I think they made, yeah, they made our top 10. Most, it was 94% of their value that year came from there. And even uh, Lexus gets the, um, the headline. But the fact is in that same chase that there was all the bad guys were driving Toyota, um, SUV. So they got a load of um, visibility as well. And then BMW and Mission Impossible. So they've consistently been all in all the newer ones. And they got most of they're one of the biggest brands every year, but they got most of their value this year from um, the Mission Impossible fallout. Uh, and then but then not just and uh, actually another one, which is non car uh, would be Nike in the Creed movies like they're there pretty consistently. Uh, but I also find interesting the partnerships with actors so, for example, Dwayne The Rock Johnson has been wearing Under Armour since his very first movies. Um, and so he's generated, obviously, and he is now an official brand ambassador for, the, um, for them. But the first few years, he wasn't. I'm sure they had, they had sent some arrangement behind the scenes. But yeah, he's generated loads for them. And whenever there's a movie that's appropriate, they can usually count on him to wear their stuff. Uh, Kevin Hart has an endorsement deal with Nike, which I'm sure entails a lot of billboards and ads and stuff. But it also means that he usually wears Nike in their movies, in the movies that he's in. So, and even something like um, watch endorsement deals, Obviously, those when they're signed, especially like they're quite an old school thing about all the, the great actors have those. But initially, it's mostly to get the, their photos in the magazines and stuff. But for example, Leonardo DiCaprio mostly wears um, Omega watches in the movies that he's in. And obviously, they've signed um, Daniel Craig as well to be in James Bond. But the, a lot of those partnerships from outside can then have product placements repercussions. And it's a pretty solid way. And obviously, series and franchises seem to be taking... Like, um, ruling over the box office at the moment. So if there is one way to maybe have consistent, reliable success, it is by being part of a franchise. But this is where it's important to get in on the ground level. And then there's probably, maybe as we said, not cash exchanging hands, but you need to make a financial commitment in terms of cross promotion or stuff like that. Yeah. And I think that most of what you just mentioned in every instance with automotive, in every instance with watches that you've mentioned, they all involved having a media buy that was driving the force. So there was dollars that were exchanged hand by BMW and by Acura and by Lexus and by Audi and all of that. But it was really the fact that the movie, the title treatment, the content, the actors became part of advertisements for those brands that cemented it for the viewers. I mean, the product placement was just the first level and then they built legs on it by doing the cross promotion, bringing it into the retail, and their television, print, and digital advertising, and then also extending it out through PR and publicity stunts, um, screenings, and uh, film festival premieres. So there's all these different ways to actually level up and build out these partnerships. They get really, really cool. Yeah, I mean, I think the poster child for exactly what we're talking about is obviously the James Bond franchise, where they have, I think it's Ford, Omega, Tom Ford, Aston Martin, those have all consistently been in the Daniel Craig ones. And there are a lot of partners that come and go, but they all build very well on, so more than just a product place, but like, uh, uh, I know the uh, jamesbondlifestyle.com is one of the biggest James Bond um, fan pages out there. He's based here in London and he always gets invited to the events by the brands because they just want to be involved in the community. Yeah. And it's, and it's true because when you are working with these types of tentpole feature films, you have this rabid fan base. 
And there is a crossover effect. I mean, it's the stardust of the film going out and sprinkling it all over the place. And those fan bases, especially now with social media, are super powerful. So it just keeps on spreading the word and bringing more attention and broadening awareness. Yeah. And hopefully we're there to measure how successful they've been. (laughs) Right. Exactly. So do you see an increase of product placement right now or a decrease of product placement? It, it actually it fluctuates a lot. Um, so I'd say the I'd say it's about stable. I mean, I gave the example earlier of how using the top fifty movies in twenty fifteen they generated one point two billion dollars versus six hundred million dollars this year. And obviously we dug into that because that's like a huge difference. And it's just simply about the movies. Like in twenty fifteen, at the top five movies at the box office. Again, obviously the higher the movie, the higher the value. You had Jurassic World, Avengers: Age of Ultron, and Fast and Furious Seven, who are obviously huge movies and full of product placement and then the next year out of the top five you had secret life of pets jungle book and finding dory and star wars in the top five which pretty much have virtually no product placement so that's how one from one year to another you can see a 60 percent drop so it fluctuates it's it's very and but i guess most importantly it's very hard to predict and sometimes and this is why again are we find our data is important because if a some the entry level for evaluations and um, the sort of data we do is for someone to just say, okay, here's what I'm in. Tell me how much it's worth. And that's, that's a great first step. You can understand a lot of the things we've talked about, about some properties are going to be bigger than others. Some are going to be successful, but if that's all you're looking about looking at, you can be like, well, why did I lose two thirds one year on another? And it can be like, well, just because there weren't that many movies where you know they needed family vehicles or there weren't that many movies that were taking place in offices or those movies just didn't do well. Um, so it's just in, that's where our data, we believe, is so important because you can really just get this macro picture of what's going on. What are the top brands? What are the top types of products? What are the products that are coming in and out? A big actually, and a big new trend is obviously websites and apps. Like a few years ago, it was very rare, but now you see Google, you see Facebook, Instagram is the most is one of the most mentioned brands in movies in the last couple of years, and obviously that's huge because that didn't exist a few years ago. Yeah, and with those apps, it's interesting. When you start, when those apps first come out, they're very hungry to actually pay for product placement and to get out there and knock on doors. But then once they hit that bubble and they go over it, they're able to get a lot of this for free because it's just part of our common everyday vernacular. Absolutely. most of the apps that you see, like Bumble is one of the clients that we've worked with over the years um, to do different partnerships from Ellen to Book Club to Jane the Virgin and Riverdale. You know, those are not going to be types of exposures that you see that are just, you know, they magically happen and they appear. I mean, they're thought out because it's an app. It's not something that is saving the production money. It's not an electronic not an automotive. It's not something that's clothing that's just easy to put on someone. It's something that really has to be orchestrated into the script. And when you do see those brands that are really, you know, you can tell that there was time taken to paint them in and to make them as organic as possible and real and have call outs and messaging. That's where you're seeing the fee-based deals. Yeah. But I mean, and I'm sure those happen a lot, but I think, as you mentioned, these apps are now part of our lives yeah. and they need like, you know, they, I'm sure Google has like is aware or is part of it when they're appearing on screen. But the fact is people are searching on computers. People are using dating apps all the time. And again, going back to my point about with the Greeking, it's always, it's always a bit strange when you see someone using a search engine that doesn't exist or a dating app that doesn't exist. It rings a lot true to see someone you bumble or Tinder or you know yeah. looking up a video on YouTube. And productions prefer to work with brands who actually are at kind of at that peak and who are known versus DuckDuckGo, which is a competitor, I think, to Google. I mean, who oh, knows, wow. right? <laughs> it's like, what is DuckDuckGo? And so to see DuckDuckGo in something, you're going to know that it's, you know, okay, so that brand went from an article I was reading, here's a little plug for them, I don't even know who they are, but I was reading something about it on LinkedIn, they mask you so that they don't allow you to search, you can't see your history of who you are. So that would work really well, like in Stranger Things, with the character who is like secret, secret, everyone's out there to get me. That's the type of search engine platform he would use. He wouldn't use a Google. So those are the things that producers look at sometimes where you can have some big wins for a brand, even without paying, if the brand actually complements the character and makes sense. Yeah. 
And then, yeah, but I think what, what you're saying about when it doesn't fit sometimes, sometimes a lot of times they can be fake, but I think it was in, again, I think it was Get Out. There were memes and everything that came out because they were using Bing in it and people yeah. were just making fun of it because, oh, we found the one person who uses Bing. So like everyone in the film was Bing, Bing, Bing. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, should, that, that brings to mind just a, an, interest, an interesting fact that I found out a couple of years ago. We worked with um, some students and teachers at Laurentian University to do, um, actually, no, sorry. This was someone. This was someone else who was just. It was. We had a lot of students who contact us because they read our data, and uh, they want to use. They want to either quote us or they want to use a bit of it, and we always try to help them out. Um, and think this. It was a. It was a PhD or a master's thesis, and he'd got someone to watch a few clips and to see what they recalled and everything. And the most fascinating thing I got from that whole interaction is that I think it was even House of Cards he was showing is that sometimes people they notice the product and they don't notice the brand and they assume it's a brand that it wasn't. Like someone will see a phone and maybe it's an unknown brand and they'll, and they'll say, what brand did you see? I was like, oh, I saw an Apple iPhone or they'll see a can, which could be, you know, it could be Dr. Pepper. And they say, oh, I think it was Coca-Cola. And that to me, the fact that basically people are seeing stuff that isn't there is interesting. And, but it's the result of obviously the fact that they've seen Coca-Cola and iPhones in people's hands so often that their brain just sort of assumes it. Well, let's just say Stranger, uh, uh, Game of Thrones and Starbucks. Yes, That's yes. Example of what you're talking about. Yeah, exactly. Every every time people would say, "Oh, the Starbucks cup," I was like, "It's it wasn't a Starbucks cup, but okay." <laughs> company in, in in Belfast called uh, Paper Cup, actually, <laughs> a little mom and pop. Uh, so I could keep on talking to you for hours, but we have to wrap it up. Are there okay? Uh, can you share with our listeners a little bit about how they can find you and where they can go? Absolutely. So our website, concavebt.com, you can come there to see our insights. So the, most recently, our Stranger Things uh, analysis, our look at the top 100 brands. We look at the top 10 product placements every year. And you can get in touch with us if you want to talk about our services or our data at info at concavebt.com. Um, and otherwise, you can see a lot of our content on Twitter at Concave Brand Tracking or YouTube con at Concave Brand Tracking and Pinterest as well. Uh, so lots of ways to get in touch and we're always happy to just just to have a chat, share some data. We get people to come to us for all sorts of reasons. Sometimes they're just thinking of starting to do product placement and they want to have a chat about what this, um, what it looks like and uh, maybe they and then work with us ideally. Um, but yeah, so get in touch and we're more than happy to chat. And as we mentioned, because we have all this data for years and years, chances are if you're in movies, we have loads of data on you already. That's awesome. And then Dominic, we'll have all of your contact information in the show notes on our podcast page. So everyone can, if you're not writing frantically right now, you can visit there. Um, and then are there any last words of parting advice or t comments that you'd like to make? I mean, obviously it's very self-serving, but at the end of the day, doing product placement without measuring in some way, because it doesn't, we didn't actually even get into this, but again, we could have, we could have talked for hours, but the fact is that product placement usually doesn't lead directly to sales. It's leading to increase in awareness and stuff. And you need to measure your, you need KPIs. You need to know your ROI. Most importantly, because someone in the company is going to be above you who doesn't understand product placement the way you do or we do. And they're going to want to know how are we? Are we the number one brand in our category? Are we get our ROI? Um, so whether you're using us or I'd say if a brand was quite small and they're just doing a couple of properties, they can do it themselves or using the agency. You need to be able to measure what you're doing somehow to know whether what you're doing is going well. Yep. And that's where third-party analytics come in and are very powerful for many companies because they want to make sure that they just have that checkbox and that they are truly you know, getting a high return. And what's wonderful about product placement is there's always a high return. Yep. Well, Dominic, thank you so much for your time. Really enjoyed having you. I will have you on again so we can talk even more. Thanks, Stacey. Look forward to it. I hope that you have a Dominic's in the UK. I'm in California, so time difference. So it's his evening time right now. I hope he has a wonderful evening. Thank you. And to all of our listeners, thank you so much for tuning in to Marking Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. I look forward to chatting with you next week.